Well, it's good to see you today. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. And if you have an outline, uh, if you would like to follow along on the outline in the back of the bulletin, uh, please do so. Thank you, Jeremy and Corey, for doing a fantastic job for us. We appreciate you guys. In Chuck Swindoll's book, Illustrations, he quotes a preacher named Larry Olson who describes a man who's lost in a desert. He says, He's been out of food and water for days. His lips are swollen. His tongue is swollen. He is all beat up and bloody. Some of his bones are almost peeking through. He has been scraped and beat up by the cactus, sand, and sun. He's blistered, and as he's crawling over this little hill, he comes across a little plant and props himself up on one of his bloody elbows, looks down at the plant and says, You know, if things keep going like this, I might just get discouraged. Have you ever asked yourself that or said that to yourself in the past few days, past few weeks, past few months? If things keep going like this, I just might get discouraged. Anybody here want to admit they might be discouraged? Well, what we want to do is look at a text of Scripture today to help us fight through discouragement. Last week I preached on strongholds. Discouragement is one of the big strongholds that all of us have to face. By definition, discouragement means a loss of confidence or enthusiasm. It means to lose spirit or passion. In other words, your passion is waning. You're declining on the inside. So as Christians, we need to tackle this problem of discouragement by its opposite, encouragement. So I desire to encourage us today to help us to fight through the discouragement of life. Let's read this text together again. It's Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. After Jesus had finished instructing His twelve disciples, He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, He sent His disciples to ask Him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. In verse 6 He says, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of Me. I would like for you to just think of any problems that you might be going through right now and you're discouraged by them. And as we're going through this lesson, you can apply what we talk about to the discouragement that you're walking through in your life. How do Christians overcome discouragement? The first thing I want us to look at, and here's point number one in your outline, is the power of discouragement. The power of discouragement. Now I want you to see the contrast here between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of John. Jesus had just finished instructing His twelve disciples. He went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing. Now here's the contrast. Jesus is preaching and teaching. He's out in the wilderness. He's got great crowds coming to Him. And where's John? John's in prison. Now let's go back and remember the ministry of John the Baptist. He grew up in the desert eating locusts and wild honey. He was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. His job was to introduce the Messiah to the world. At one time, great crowds came to hear him preach. He was a fiery preacher. He said to those that were listening to him, You brood of vipers! How would you like Pastor Jeff up here saying, You're a brood of vipers? He's a very powerful preacher. And he had the distinct honor, the only one to do so, of baptizing Jesus Christ in the Jordan River. He loved Jesus so much, he said, I'm not worthy to even carry Christ's sandals. 
And it was of John the Baptist that Jesus later said he was the greatest man who ever lived. So we're not talking about some flash in the pan here. We're talking about one of the central figures of Scripture. And notice what happened to him. It says in verse 2, John heard, underline these two words, in prison. He was in prison. He had this tremendous ministry. He was noticed by people. And all of a sudden, his world was turned upside down and he was in prison. Now, you know what happens when you put somebody that's out in the desert and sees open spaces in a confined place like a prison? Discouragement. And scholars tell us that John the Baptist was not just in prison for a few days. At this point in his life, he'd been there for months, day after day, surrounded by four walls. Discouraged. And you know why he was in prison? Because he was a righteous, godly man. King Herod, who we see later in Matthew 14, had made a mistake. He had a half-brother and decided that he wanted his half-brother's wife. John the Baptist, being a righteous preacher, said, it's not lawful for you to have her. It's wrong. You are sinning. Don't you love preachers that tell you you're sinning? Most of us do with preachers that do that what Herod did with John the Baptist. He threw him in prison. That's what the Israelites did with the prophets. They put Jeremiah in a well. They they don't want to hear the truth, so they'll get rid of you. They even crucified our Lord on a cross because they didn't hear what he wanted to say. So John the Baptist goes to Herod and said, you're sinning by taking another man's wife. And Herod said, you know what? I don't want to hear it. To prison you go. And he languished in prison day after day, day after day for months. He was a righteous man. He had done nothing wrong. He had only served the Lord. He'd preached the forecoming of Christ. And he was stuck in a prison cell. Let me tell you, when your circumstances get turned upside down like that, and and you go from success and prosperous preaching to a prison, the tendency is to get discouraged. Even if you know what John the Baptist knew. Remember he said, he must become greater, I must become less. He knew it was a part of the plan, but still, uh, that process of going from you know, out in the outdoors, successful preaching to a prison, you feel left alone, you feel abandoned, you get discouraged. He was so discouraged, he even questioned the truth of Jesus Christ. And this is what happens when you and I get discouraged. Where's God? Where's Jesus? We go from encouraged to discouraged very quickly. Notice what John says in Matthew 11, verse 3. He says, are you the one? He's sending his disciples to Jesus to say, are you the one? Or should we expect someone else? Are you the Messiah or should we expect someone else? No, wait a minute. He baptized him. I mean, he said, I can't carry his sandals. Discouragement will will just mess up your thinking. When you're sad, when you're broken, it will challenge your convictions. It will challenge your truth. What do you believe? It will come out when you're squeezed or when you find yourself in a prison situation. Discouragement often leads us to question our faith in Jesus Christ. So God will allow us to go through a period of discouragement so you and I will understand what we really believe. What is it that you think? What is it that you really, really believe? Do you love Jesus when things are good and not bad? Will you turn your back on Him when things are bad? Or are you in this thing, good or bad? Because in life, you're going to have both of those experiences, good and bad. The church in history, has been filled with people who have just gone through really, really tough times. 
There was a missionary to India. His name was William Carey. William Carey had a very troubled marriage. His wife did not want to go to India. He wanted to stay. And uh, for his whole ministry in India, he had a very difficult time convincing her to be there. And she made his life very, very difficult. All he wanted was to be faithful to the Lord. And she almost opposed him at every turn. He went to India and he began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. For seven years, he preached nothing. Not one person saved, not one person came to faith in Jesus Christ. For seven years, he planted seeds. Now, now what would you do after the first six months? Your wife's really not on board, and you're wanting to preach every time you go out. I want to go back home. I don't want to be here. Well, I'm going to go preach the gospel today. Why? It doesn't matter. You hear a little of Job's wife coming out here. Curse God and die, you know. And ladies, I'm not picking on you. I'm just reading the text, okay? Guys, we do it too. So what you see here is you see discouragement coming from a lot of different angles. But this guy, William Carey, persevered. And he stayed on. And he didn't quit. He did not allow his discouragement to get him off track for seven years Day after day. There's a quote from William Carey. He said this, I feel as a farmer does about a crop. Sometimes I think the seed is springing and thus I hope. Then along comes a blast and my hopes are all gone like a cloud. There were only weeds which appeared or if a little corn sprung up, suddenly it quickly dies, either being choked with weeds or parched up by the sun of persecution. Yet I still hope in God and will go forth in his strength and make mention of his righteousness even of his only. He had a conviction to continue on even in the midst of discouragement. Today, we nickname William Carey the father of modern missions. Because of his model of perseverance, many missionaries have followed him and for years have served on missions field, on the missions field to serve the Lord and in time saw great fruit. But I want to see something else here. There was a nickname for John the Baptist, and it's interesting how this comes in, out in commentaries. In Mark, Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, they asked Jesus about John the Baptist. And they said, Why do teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus said, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come. And they've done to him everything they wish, just that it is written about him. Jesus is saying John the Baptist in the New Testament is the personification of Elijah from the Old Testament. Now, do you remember Elijah? What's the one characteristic you remember about Elijah? Okay, he called fire down, Baal was destroyed. But you remember in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's an interesting story about Elijah. He had had enough. He had had enough. He was being chased by Jezebel. He says, all the prophets are being killed. Lord, I'm the only one left. And here's what he said in, in 1 Kings 19.4. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. It's over. Have you ever gotten to that point where you just said, you know what? I've had enough. I don't want you to say take your life, but you've just said to the Lord, I can't take it anymore. This level of discouragement comes day after day, week after week. I'm done with the Christian life. None of my friends care. All my, all my people I hang around with, none of them care. I was listening to a preacher the other day. He said, in the United States of America, 17 people out of 100 go to church once a month. Once a month. This was before COVID. 
In the United States of America, the great godly nation, 17 people out of 100 go to church once a month. Does anybody care? I sat in one of my classes at Southern Seminary. One of my professors was sitting there talking about how he had pastored a church one time and the church just seemingly was going down, down, down. He went to one of his deacons. And his deacons had just, one of his deacons just walked away. And here's what the deacon said. Nobody cares anymore. Nobody cares about holiness. Nobody cares about prayer. Nobody cares about Jesus. So if they're not going to care, I'm not going to care either. It takes one person to stand up and care. And it's infectious. Does anybody want to be that one person that stands up and shows that you care? William Carey said, I care. God graciously restored Elijah, and God is in the process of graciously restoring John the Baptist. It was the great preacher William Haddon Spurgeon who said, Had John's faith begun to waver, it's possible that it had. Elijah had his times of troubling, trembling, and depression. Then why not the second Elijah have the same sort of experience? Listen, in life you're going to have experiences that come that are going to get you discouraged. What are you going to do? What do you do when the circumstances of life are blowing you out of the water? Day after day, week after week, month after month, for seven years, seven years or longer. Point number two. Jesus gives us the prevention of discouragement or the prevention for discouragement. First thing you got to do is admit you're discouraged. Anybody here want to admit that? Don't say it publicly, but are you discouraged? I've had people say, man, I'm sick of COVID-19. I get it. I'm sick of the economy being terrible. I get it. I'm sick of this face mask. I get it. What's the prevention? Notice what Jesus said in verses 4 and 5. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. Jesus is speaking to the disciples to take this message back to John. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus is quoting Scripture. He's quoting Isaiah 61.1, and he already quoted it in Luke chapter 4. You see, Jesus had been given an assignment by the Father. He had been given a purpose by God to carry out in this life. And we read what it is in those two sections of Scripture. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance to our God to comfort all who mourn. Jesus does just go around and say, Hey, I'm somebody special. Follow me. If you look at his life, he said, You know, my time's not yet come. I haven't fulfilled the responsibilities of Holy Scripture. He said to the Pharisees, this is the scripture that speaks about me. I have a, a job assignment to finish. And he's saying that to John the Baptist. And you can almost make a parallel thought here. I've been given a job to do and finish. Likewise, you've been given a job to do and finish. In fact, what are the last three words Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. It's time for him to go on. And as you break this down, there are six things that Christ does here. I don't want to go too much detail into this, but it says in this verse of scripture, the blind receive sight. Isn't it a beautiful thing in Scripture when you see Jesus healing somebody who's blind? The lame walk. We see the, he says to the paralytic on his mat, get up and walk. Each of these things reminds John the Baptist of the power and the ministry of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is saying to John is the same thing he's saying to us. When you're going through a time where you're discouraged, do not base your theology on outward circumstances. Do not live by what you see outside of your senses, you live by what you see in this book. Remind yourself, preach to yourself of Jesus Christ. 
That's what our faith is about. That's who we focus on. You see, when we're down, we'll, we'll pray, God, here's the situation. Here's the circumstance. As if God needs to be enlightened and filled in on our troubles. It's good to talk to him about it. It's what he tells us to do. But God's not as anxious about these things as we are. John could, Jesus could have done anything to get John out of prison. He's not limited in his power. But he said a specific message. John, control your thought life. You baptized me. You said about my sandals, you couldn't even carry them. Your thinking's off track, and that's getting you discouraged. Get your thinking back on track, and you'll be encouraged. Remember what John said? Are you the one to come, or should we get somebody else in here? Are you the Messiah or somebody else? And Jesus said, that's where you need to focus. I am the Messiah. Don't allow your circumstances to steal that truth from you. Jesus is Lord. I saw this interesting uh, story from 1993. It was a news report in New York, Brooklyn, New York. There's a group of Jews up there called the Lubavitcher Hasidic Jews. They live in Crown Heights, New York. And the article was called Messiah Sighting. And it was a report about Rabbi, I can't say his name, Meneka Mendel Schneerson. I'm sorry, it's just what the, book, the article says. I remember the Orthodox Jews wear the black robes, they have the curly hair, they're very specific in their observance of the letter of the law. And word got out that this guy, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, was the Messiah. And their beepers started to go off and they were going to meet this gentleman who was a very prolific scholar and teacher in the Jewish community. And over a period of moments, thousands of Jews, Hasidic Jews, went to see their Messiah. And they began to sing this song, Long live our master, our teacher, and our rabbi, King Messiah forever and ever. They believed that he was their Messiah. In a way, that's kind of what happens to us. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying that's not the Messiah. Jesus is our Messiah. They're hoping for something, but he's not the guy. He later died. There's still some say waiting for him to come back. you, you got to settle this. This is, this is what Jesus is saying to John the Baptist. Is he your Messiah or not? Look how he has fulfilled the letter of the law. Look how he has fulfilled Scripture. It's one thing to know that. It's an, another thing to be convinced of that so that in every situation you're walking through, Jesus is Lord. Is Jesus your Lord, yes or no? All things work together for good. For them that love the Lord and who are called according to his purpose. All things. Romans 8.21 says. 8.28. So what do you got to do? You got to control your thinking. I'm not going to focus on my circumstances because they're going to get me discouraged. I'm going to encourage myself by looking at the Jesus of Holy Scripture. Look at what the Lord did here. Look at what the Lord did here. Go back to your past. Look at what the Lord's done in your past. Have you forgotten how the Lord's rescued you from various troubles and difficulties in your life? Isn't it amazing when these difficulties come, Jesus gets pushed out. Jesus doesn't want to be pushed out. Jesus can't be pushed out because he's the Lord. But in our thinking, we can get to the place like John the Baptist did and we just, man, are you who you say you are? My experience has been the deeper the trouble, the deeper the trial, eventually the deeper will be your faith. But it usually takes a lot of time to get there. And that's why we get so frustrated. Let's finish this up. Point number three. So there's one little nugget of truth here that we have to hang on to. Here's the shortcut version. That's the long version. Here's the shortcut. 
If you want just a nugget of truth to hang in your heart as we leave today for this week, here's the promise for discouragement. Point number three, the promise for discouragement. It's a beautiful promise. Notice what it says in verse 6. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus is saying this to John the Baptist and he's saying it to us. Blessed is the man, blessed is the person who does not fall away on account of me. You can say it literally, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now the word blessed means one who is favored by God. So if you're a Christian, as you, as you go through the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the, we see Jesus wanting to bless a certain kind of person. You're going to see another blessing on a kind of person here. Blessed, God's favor, God's supervising of your life. You know, most people want blessings from this life and they seek them themselves. It's a whole lot better to say, God knows what's better for me. I'm going to let him bless me if I'll just do what he tells me to do. So if you want God's favor on your life, here's what this means. The word offended there is the word scandalizo. We get the word scandalized from that. Let me, let me break this down and interpret it for you in terms of a definition. The word scandalizo means angered, shocked, or repulsed by. So what our Lord is saying here is, blessed is the person who is not angered, shocked, or repulsed by me or my leading in your life. He's saying to John, John, you're going to be blessed if you just trust me through this difficulty. You're going to be blessed if you'll trust me, even when you don't understand what I'm doing. Can you say that? That's the promise that Jesus gives to us. I will bless the person who doesn't walk away from me, who doesn't talk bad about me, and who completely trusts me, puts all their weight on my truth, even when, I'm, seems, even when it seems like I'm not there. Are you going to trust me when you don't understand? Blessed is the person who trusts me when they don't understand. You go back to Job chapter 1, all those terrible things happen, and all this the Bible says... Job did not blame God or charge him with wrongdoing. That's what we're talking about here. J.C. Ryle said these words, Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. I'll close with this illustration. Many years ago, there was a, a great scholar. His name was Henry Morton. Henry Martin was a distinguished mathematician at Cambridge. He had achieved the highest rank of a person in mathematics at the age of 20. The highest award that you can get, he was that brilliant. You see, it's not just the small and intellect that go through difficulties. All of us go through difficulties. And Henry Martin uh, was to the place where he got, got to the, the top of his, uh, of his profession, but he was still empty on the inside. He didn't know where to go. He said it was like grasping a shadow. It's a good way to describe success in this world, grasping a shadow. After evaluating his life's goals, he made a decision. Could have done anything. At the age of 24, sailed to India, same place as uh, William Carey we saw earlier, and became a missionary. And here's what he prayed. Lord, let me burn out for you. Let me burn out for you. Whatever comes my way, I'm not offended by you, and I want to be blessed in service to you. He was so brilliant that while he was on the mission field, he died seven years later, but in that seven-year period in India, he translated the New Testament in three of the most difficult Eastern languages. To this day, his, his legacy is left because of his faithfulness to the Lord.
Are you discouraged? God's not done with you. He has a purpose and a plan for you. Don't lose your convictions. Never let external circumstances destroy your internal convictions. Be who God made you to be. Let's bow for a word of prayer.